Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well, good evening everyone. Oh, thanks. You guys are so kind. Uh, well, thanks to, to Musa, thanks to the team for leading us so well in worship tonight. Well, as I was preparing this, um, as I was preparing 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, I was, I was reminded a little bit of my childhood. Um, I remembered that my brother and I used to fight a lot. And from the many sermons I've preached at Central, you probably picked up that I have a lot of stories with my brother. But we used to fight a lot, and, and sometimes when we fought... What we used to say to each other is, ah, you childish. And that was like the equivalent of a swear word, all right? If he called me childish, it would just chine my insides and I'd be like, ah, you childish, sure. Now, whilst I was thinking about that, I actually realized that not much has changed in 2022. In fact, no one likes to be referred to as childish. Now, if you went around this room, you'll be shocked by how many people, in fact, you won't just be shocked by how many people, but you'd be shocked by who has lied about their age before. I'd like to let you know that in your row, there are catfish. At some point in your life, be it on WhatsApp, on Mixit, on Facebook, You've probably said you were 16, 20, or 18, when in actual fact you were still 12. The truth is, many people want to be mature. We all want to be grown up. We, we, we all want to show a sense of, man, I've been well put together. And the perception has been for many years that the older you are in age, the more mature you'll be. So in our passage tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul is going to challenge those who were in the local church at, at, at Corinth who actually were immature. We'll see that there are those even in our midst who should be mature, who should be grown up, but they still are children. In the actual fact, they are childish. They think that they can feast from the adults' menu, but in actual fact, they are still seated at the kiddies' table eating from the kiddies' menu. So what tonight Paul is going to describe is what spiritual immaturity looks like and its damaging effects to the local church. If you've been around the church for long enough or if you've known church people for long, You'd be familiar with those who've suffered from a form of spiritual dwarfism. They should be in a different stage. They should be in a more grown-up stage, but their growth is stunted, and it's causing great havoc in the local church. So we've seen in the last two weeks, Paul first started by talking about the preacher of the message. He then spoke about the message of the preacher. Tonight, he's going to turn his attention once again to the church, the recipients of the preaching. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, it reads, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. 
But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And now, and even now, you are not yet ready. Verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For whilst there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Let's pray together as we come to the Lord's word. Father, as you've reminded us in the last two sermons, that Father, I am only a servant who is used by the Lord. So God, I pray that your spirit would be at work in and amongst us, helping us to understand the mysteries of God revealed through your word. Help us, Father, to understand them. Help us, God, to apply them. But Lord, we also pray that we would leave here being challenged, being rebuked, but Lord, also being exhorted and encouraged to pursue after righteousness. God, I do pray that you'd help us to examine our own lives to see if God, we have or we are still childish. And help us, Lord, to pursue spiritual maturity that, Father, we can be better involved in the things of Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I'd like us to consider tonight is spiritual dwarfism. In fact, I only have one point tonight, and that is spiritual dwarfism. So you start off by saying, but I, brothers... I think it's worth noting that the Apostle Paul starts by applying so much grace when he speaks to the believers at Corinth. He calls them brothers. Not only is he identifying them as believers, but he's also about to address them as, as family brothers in Christ. But as I said in the beginning, no one likes to be referred to as childish, and that's exactly what Paul is about to do. So he knew that this rebuke would not be an easy pill to swallow to those it has been prescribed. So he, he delivers it with much compassion and grace. But why does he say but? He says, but I. Why does he start with the but? What is the Apostle Paul contrasting? Well, remember last week when we heard about the message of the preacher, we read in chapter 2 and verse 14, you can uh, browse there with your eyes, he says in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So then the, the, the Corinthian believers are, are to be able to understand the spiritual things of God because they were believers, but they couldn't. They couldn't understand the things of God because they were behaving in the flesh. So my first sub-point tonight, I want you to consider with me the diagnosis. The diagnosis. See, Paul in this passage is about to, like a skilled physician, describe the condition of the church in Corinth. You see, when Paul initially got to Corinth, he, he found a people who he described as the natural person. They could not understand the things of the Spirit because at that time, they did not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. They were not yet believers. He thus shared the gospel with them. We saw this in chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, And I, 
When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he shares the gospel to those in Corinth. They come to faith in Christ. He then left them as infants naturally, for they were babes in Christ. Hence, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. What was it that they understood? What were they ready for if, if there is something to not be ready for? Well, Paul left a church in Corinth that understood that God has from eternity past planned to redeem mankind through the death of the second person of the Godhead. He left a church that believed in the Son of God, our mediator. They, he left a church that believed that Christ came down from heaven above in the form of a man born of a virgin. He was tempted at all points yet without sin. He fulfilled the whole law to become a curse for us by dying on a tree according to the promise. And by his free grace and mercy, those that repent and believe, deliverance from sin, death, and condemnation and the wrath of God is given. Remission of sin, salvation, and eternal life is secured by the Son of God. They believed in our Messiah, and they believe that through him is given the Holy Spirit who works effectively in the hearts of man, kindling and exciting in them faith, repentance, and the beginning of eternal life. Simply put, they believed in the gospel. They believed, they heard the gospel of Christ, and they believed it. The church believed in Jesus, and all the gracious acts that I've mentioned above, all these were performed in their hearts, and that's why Paul could address them as brothers. Maybe to pause even before I continue. Has all these things happened to you? Have you believed in the Son of God? Have you believed that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for your sins and he is risen again to life and he is your hope and he is your life as a believer? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside your heart by faith? If your answer was yes, is the fruit of this? You see, to Paul's astonishment, the, the church hasn't grown from the time that they heard and believed the gospel. From the time when they, when they were brought to life to now, they were still on milk. He says, and even now you are not ready. Ready for what? For meat. For you are still of the flesh. What does this mean? He returned expecting to see believers who have grown in their faith, believers showing fruit of their redemption, and instead he found adults sitting in their spiritual diapers saying, goo goo gaga. It's interesting, he says, for you are still of the flesh. The word flesh, that the word flesh, there is an interesting word. He is not calling them fleshy, but he's calling them fleshly. What's the difference? Well, fleshy, with just a Y, means made of flesh. It refers to the weakness that is common to every fallen human being. 
it, it refers to those who are without Christ. They are still bound to their sins. Their bodies are instruments of unrighteousness, and sin still has its dominion over them. Whilst the word fleshly, with an L-Y, is used of a person who is characterized by the flesh. It speaks of the believer who can and should do differently, but does not. Paul is calling the believers at Corinth fleshly, with an L-Y. See, the truth that we find in Scripture is that though you are in Christ, Though you have the Spirit of God dwelling in your, fle- in your hearts, you will still experience severe conflict in your soul. You are still at war with the world, with Satan, and with your flesh. As a believer, there must be strong conviction to hate the things of this world and pursue after righteousness. You recognize that the world's offer for pleasure is only actually poison. The evil one lures you to drop your guard, drop your standard. He uses this deception in his cunning ways. He twists scripture knowing what your sinful heart longs for, and that is sin. He whispers in your ears, hey, living for God is impossible. He says, listen, God is asking for too much. Enjoy the world. Give in to your sin, for it is the greatest pleasure you will ever experience. Live for the now, for you only live once. That's what the world offers. You see, the difference between a maturing believer and an immature believer is the fight. Alistair Begg says every sin is an inside job. The devil didn't make you do it. The devil only brings the world, as I've described, to your doorstep, dripping in honey, dripping in glitter and gold. Your flesh is craving to give in, but the grace of God is working in your heart through the Spirit, enabling the maturing believer to resist. That's how the spiritual man is described. He walks in the Spirit. Not only does he resist, but he fights. Don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching a sermon tonight on sinless perfection. I know it is not easy, but the spiritual man is at his post daily ready for battle. He takes up arms. He heads to the battlefield. And though he falls, he confesses, he repents, he gets up, he takes arms again against the flesh, knowing that his gracious God is making him pure for that day does this describe you you see the corinthian church put their swords down they stopped putting to death the desires of their flesh they gave in to sinful desires they looked like the world they spoke like the world man they even tasted like the world i don't know how you can taste them but they did <laughs> they were, they became like the salt that lost its saltiness They were fleshly. Is this you, church at Central? Can you tonight be addressed as spiritual or are you still an infant in Christ when you should be maturing? This leads to the next point. What were the symptoms? Consider verse 3. It says, For whilst there is jealousy and strife among you, 
are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? See, Paul has made it clear that there is a problem in the church. The problem is that the believers were fleshly. How did he get to, to this conclusion? How did Paul pick up that there was canality that had made its way into the church at Corinth? Firstly, he says there, were, there was jealousy. Now, I went and I googled what the word jealousy is, and maybe this was just me. But I found it interesting that the word for jealousy is the Greek word zelos, which is originally a good word. Zelos means warmth or enthusiasm or zeal. But for a bad cause or from a bad motive, jealousy, envy, and rivalry are the result of zealous. So in our passage, jealousy, zealous, describes a person who is not content with what they have. This person looks with a jealous eye on every believer given, sorry, at, of, at every blessing given to someone else and are themselves denied of. In essence, they look at what God has given you and they believe in their heart that they are better deserving of God's gift than the current recipient. God, you made a mistake. I was deserving of it. Church, the Bible is clear that jealousy or envy is a sin. I won't read them, but I'll give you the references. Acts 5.17, Acts 13.45, Romans 13.13, 1 Corinthians 3.3. 2 Corinthians 12, 20, Galatians 5, 20, Philippians 3, 6, James 3, 14, 3, 16. If you miss them, go on the stream and you'll find the verses again. <laughs> but what I want you to see is that where there is jealousy and where there is envy, these are rooted in selfishness and pride. The second sin or the second symptom that Paul saw in the church at Corinth was strife. Strife is the Greek word eris, was the same word that Paul used in chapter 1 when he, was spoke, when he was talking about there is quarreling among you. This word strife means contention. It means bickering. It means quarrels. It refers to an engagement in rivalry, especially with reference to positions taken in a matter. Man, when I read this definition, I was challenged. I was challenged to examine my own heart because I recognize that we often in my tribe fall into different, well, I've noticed that there's different tribes who fall into different circles. And what happens is we can easily in our tribes justify sinful strife for the sake of our position. I was challenged. See, the strife in Corinth was often heated and violent in nature, like you'll see on the Twitter streets. They were acting no different like those in the world. In fact, they were behaving like pagans. A preacher made this comment. An infant's life is almost totally self-centered and selfish. Its whole concern is with its own comfort, its hunger, its attention, and sleep. It is typical of a young child to be self-centered, but it should not be typical of an adult, especially a Christian adult. 
it is spiritually infantile to be jealous of or to cause strife among fellow believers as it portrays a fleshly perspective. Division can only occur where there is selfishness. So the reality is these two sins were breeding room for more sins. We saw in this church that factions developed as some were saying, hey, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and others were saying, hey, I was of Cephas. Church, if we open the door for one sin to have its dwelling among us, do not be surprised when it invites its friends and more sins bring their luggage and stay for a while. If you want to grow to spiritual maturity, you need to start by dying. Die to yourself. Die every day to yourself because every day you want to live for yourself. So mortify your flesh, dear believer. Peter calls for it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, he says, So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. He says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Why? That by it you may grow up into salvation. If, indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Paul also comments in Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. In fact, if, if you just listen to this list. As we go through the book of Corinthians, you'll notice that we've only mentioned two, two sins so far, but the door was open. Paul says in Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Many of these were found in the church in Corinth. Paul continues in Galatians, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Church, this requires spiritual discipline. For how can you expect to grow up into salvation? How do you expect to grow in the fruit of the Spirit if the only time you're feeding from God is on a Sunday? 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening, is that enough? You can't only eat Sunday by Sunday or Wednesday by Wednesday or whenever your Bible study meets, expecting to be spoon-fed by the teacher of the Word of God and expect to be an adult in the faith. You need to learn to use the utensils of hermeneutics. You need to learn to chew the doctrines of your faith. Church, we need to grow in the faith that we have been called to. This is important. You need to take to account that you are actually feasting from the world's table every day. Listen to these stats. The average human consumes about 3 hours and 43 minutes of their phones on a day. Some six, if you use iPhone, it tells you. <laughs> others spend, well, not others, 
uh, another stat. Um, we consume about three, three hours and 35, sorry, three hours and 35 minutes of TV a day. You spend about 35 to 40 hours at work a week surrounded by pagans who want nothing to do with God. You spend about 30 to 35 hours a day at, sorry, 30 to 35 hours a week at school with teachers or lecturers who hold to a different worldview and pupils who love the world and hate God. Do you get it? There is a great No, a desperate need for us to spend much time with God if we want to stand. If we want to make an impact in this world for the gospel of Christ, we need to learn to walk with the Spirit daily. The main problem here was that the Corinthians were too preoccupied with themselves. They were not only obsessed with themselves, but they were obsessed with the man of God, which we can trace back to being obsessed or preoccupied with themselves. See, this high focus of self saw love leave the church and competition replaced it. Instead of growing in community, they were growing in clickiness. Instead of exhorting and encouraging each other, they were boasting and looking to outshine each other. Instead of looking for unity and harmony in service, they reveled at rivalry. Friends, this is extremely hazardous in the life of a local church. Churches have split. Churches have closed down. Faithful leaders have been burnt out over childish members in the local church who prefer strife over edification. Church, corridor conversations, slander, gossip, cliques, and rivalries are common sores of a local church that is filled with immature members. Paul addresses, and I believe he challenges us today because if our local church is filled with fleshly members, it is, remember, it is them who will make the decisions. They will lead the church into the great abyss of the world, burning the fuse to their light stand or at least sending back their light under the bushel. May this not be true of Central Baptist Church and its members. May jealousy and strife not be found amongst us as we look to continue the work in the kingdom of Christ. As I said in the beginning, no one likes to be called childish. So probably at this point in the sermon, if, if there was anything that was rubbing you the wrong way, you probably have shut off or you probably were thinking of someone else. But I want to bring us back at this point and say, this message is not for those out there who we may think are childish. This message is not for those whom we have suspected of causing contention in the church. This message is for you. This message is for me. Don't look out before you've done the work of examining within. Are you guilty of trying or causing division in the local church because of jealousy? Are you guilty of sparking the flame of strife or at least fueling it with your hunger to cause factions? 
The call tonight is repent. Believer, should you be on meat, but you are busy playing in the playground of the world whilst sucking on a spiritual pacifier? Oh, believer, grow. Grow in the faith. Be intentional about what you consume, who you call as friends, how you spend your time. Go back to spending your time in prayer. Go back to reading, meditating, memorizing, and applying the word of God. Come back to being plugged into the local church. Oh, believer, grow. Maybe you have your eyes fixed on the ministry of the man and not on the ministry of God. Saying with the, uh, with the apostle, uh, saying with the Corinthians, I follow so-and-so in the church, or I'll only listen to so-and-so in the church. Also you tonight, dear believer, repent and stop being fleshly. I can tell you that the elders at Central are ministers of the gospel of Christ. They are only servants through whom you have believed as the Lord has assigned to each. They are only instruments in the hand of God. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't grow. So give praise to God. So to close, if we have a diagnosis for the symptoms we had, what then is a prescription? Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord has assigned to each. So then, the prescription must be, come back next week and Isaac will tell you. Let's pray. Lord, there was a point in time where we were slaves to sin. We were under the dominion of darkness and sin reigned in our hearts. But through faith in Jesus Christ, by your grace, we have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You said in your word, that all who have this hope in you purify themselves just as you are pure. You have called us to be holy just as Christ is holy. So God, you have saved us and you are sanctifying us. So we ask tonight that you would help us to grow in the faith. If we have been found fleshly tonight, Lord, we confess and we plead for your forgiveness. For we know that everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So as we come around the table tonight, Lord, we, we remember that Christ appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. But at the same time, we come tonight to remember that no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So Lord, help us to break from the habits of sin that have caught us up.
Lord, won't you help us tonight as we come before you to see the sins that have caught us and have drawn us away from you. God, if the sins are strife and jealousy, we bring them before your feet tonight, confessing and asking that you would forgive us. But God, there may be other sins. So church, tonight I want you to take this time before we go to the Lord's table to examine your own heart. What sins has God brought to the surface? What sins has, brought, has God brought to your mind tonight that need confessing? Take time tonight in your heart right now where you are sitting to confess these sins to God and repent. Maybe your greatest sin is you just childish and you're still on milk. Confess that to God and ask him to help you to grow. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.